0: We're back, I'm Gervier Braum I'm here with Chamat Carsandu, and we are Screen Off Script. This week, we're getting into Top Gun Maverick, and reflecting on all the major movie and TV news of the week. Folks, it's showtime. Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell, you were here at the request of Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher.
1: Just want to manage the expectations.
0: What the hell? Good morning, aviators. This is your captain speaking. Tend to push your limits. Show me what you're made of. Nice. any fun yet? Top Gun Maverick. In our first segment, we're talking spoilers for Top Gun Maverick. If you want to skip around, we got timestamps in the description and don't forget to subscribe. So, first thing, obviously, we're talking about Top Gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to kind of set in to the idea that this movie was so hyped. Massive success right off top. We're doing this after the opening weekend and. I mean, at the end of the day, you're a big 80s movie guy, big Top Gun guy. You've talked about other shows, just how much like this period of time was like your establishing years as a movie fan, as a film fan. So I find like this film is like so much bigger than just Top Gun itself.
1: Yeah, it's a generational franchise now, I guess. It's a generational movie, Top Gun... You know meant it's an iconic moment for americana in many ways mm-hmm. uh in in hollywood in the movie business in cinema history when you look back at the 80s in terms of a launch vehicle for tom cruise yep. i mean you know a whole generation and now i guess multiple generations of fans you know are so linked to the movie in some way shape or form whether they're just fans of the movie or the actors or The lines or the music there's so much iconography that Top Gun and it was kind of almost like replicated and made fun of and stereotyped and uh, made parodies of down the road and you could even look back at some of say some of the the video games that weren't like an officially licensed Top Gun video game or piece of merchandise they like oh they kind of just ripped off Top Gun there or something like that right um but yeah it's just like I said it's one of the most iconic movies of all time and it really did help Transition Hollywood. It wasn't. It didn't do it by by itself. But it was one of those movies that helped usher in the era of the blockbuster, which has in itself has changed uh, so much over the years. And in the last ten years, it's really more about comic book movies. Yeah. But at that particular moment in time, it was like, okay, how can we take a concept which Don Simpson, producer, and Jerry Bruckheimer have been famous for? How can we just take a simple concept and turn it into a movie? Uh, and I, the, only, the only other one I could think of that is similar to Top Gun in that realm is The Fast and the Furious, the very first movie where it was just a concept, but hey, let's just take street racing culture and turn it into a movie. Yeah. Top Gun, it was just all about naval aviation and these jets and just turning it into a movie. Very, very simple in terms of story, but they made a movie out of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: And and you can understand why this is like a massive success as far, like you're right, as far as Americana goes, like. Top Gun is part of America. You know what I mean? Like, everything about it, the the montages from the the shirtless, what is it, volleyball or whatever they're playing, or football they're playing on the beach, to to like the high-speed, high-adrenaline action scenes, to the romance that's actually associated with it already, and the way they approach romance in these movies... It's all, that's what macho America is to me. So now it comes to this sequel, right? We, we finally got a sequel that was delayed like five times. It was supposed to come out originally back in,
1: I think 2019 as a legacy fan, how did it live up? what did you think? Uh, I did not expect it to live up to expectations. I did not, uh, you know, expect it to live up to the hype, but it did man. For me as a big fan of the original movie that has seen the original Top Gun countless times over the years. I was like, this is no way. There's just no way. This is like a Tom Cruise late career cash in. No way it's going to live up to the the hype, but it did. I had a great time with it. There's so many payoffs, especially if you know the story, if you know what happens in the original. And I think that the pacing, the the, the story, the characters um, that are introduced and just paying respect to the Top Gun world, they did a fantastic job across the board. You you know what I do have to say, and I, I hate to be a party pooper,
0: cause I you know what sucks I, the idea of like when when everyone's having a good time, it feels like the audience is loving this movie, the critics are loving this movie, Rotten Tomatoes 99% audience score, 90 plus for the actual critic score, and then I feel like I'm walking in being like, not for me, yeah yeah, this one's not for me, like yeah. I don't know I don't know what to say like I, as far as like this movie goes, I love 80s pop culture, I love 80s music. But it's funny that everything about Top Gun is all the stuff I don't really care for from the 80s. Like, all the machoism and stuff like that. Like, I get my fix for that from pro wrestling. It's so over the top and it's fun. I can go back and watch, like, 80s pro wrestling. It's, like, it's a blast. Yeah. I can go and listen to 80s music, but this isn't the 80s music I listen to. Right. These aren't the 80s actors I care about. I've never been a Tom Cruise fan. But for some reason, this movie... Just did not do it for me in in any way. Like I, I kind of walked away being like shit. I feel like an asshole for not liking this movie. It's obviously like so much of it is so fucking cool. Like yeah. the the acting is solid. Feels like an homage to the 80s. The the action is like fantastic. And especially reading up on it and seeing what the actors actually went through, going through G force and all that kind of like they went and w- went above and beyond of what they were called for. They could have done all this shit on CGI, but they said no. We're doing it practical effects. We're doing it for real. Yep, and they did it, and for some reason, it's like, oh, that effort just was completely lost on me. It just did not translate.
1: I'm sorry. You don't have to apologize, and you yeah. don't have to feel like an asshole either. because I, do. I always of- do. No, you don't have to. Because honestly, generational guilt. It's like one of those things. It's like if if that's not your jam, then yeah. that's not your jam. Like if we were to review. 10 horror movies right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would have the exact opposite take to you right now. Exactly. And I'm like, yep. yeah, I'm not feeling it. I'm not a fan of horror. I'm not a fan. We can go down the rabbit hole of yep. like that's the beauty about having two people that I think for 90% of the time, we're always going to be on the same page. We're always going to be agreeable on the majority of stuff that we talk about uh and that we review every now and then there's gonna be something that gets thrown into the mix where we're gonna have opposite takes. That's a good thing, that's a healthy thing, and that's an honest thing as well. Yeah, yeah, that's my whole thing. At the end of the day, I wanted
0: to be very honest as I was watching the movie, because, okay, so we can just set the scene as well, okay? We're watching this movie during a trip, and we go to Las Vegas, we're there to watch AEW Double or Nothing, we're there to hang out with some friends. We all go as a group of friends to go watch this, And I really do believe This is a generational thing A bunch of our friends Were just like Listen This movie is not Keeping my attention A few of them Fucking walked out Yeah yeah Right A few of them Walked out I think it was just A situation where If you grew up With Top Gun Number one Obviously you're gonna Love this movie Yeah And I think on top of that If you just Are not Like a huge fan Of like this kind of action it's just not going to
1: be your jam either. That's but actually a great call because this is a very throwback action movie in many absolutely. ways. Absolutely, you don't really get these kind of movies anymore no. because, like you said, so much special effects, is so much comic book heroes or wizards yeah. or whatever going throwing, you know, being thrown into the mix. And here we have just like fighter pilots and it's jets and it's missiles and guns and it's it's,
0: even like the shots like they have like the opening shot the 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 whole thing with what's that song uh zone the one that they sing together great uh, when they're singing great Great balls of of fire fire, yeah when when they're going through and they're playing the game of football with their shirts off i heard they had to shoot that twice because tom cruise wasn't happy with the first one but it's like all that stuff it's fun But it's like that's not what i personally like enjoy about like 80s culture you know it's like almost the 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 macho side that i just don't give a fuck about
1: yeah what's funny about what you just said there is like that's the 80s right Mm. so when they're doing scenes like this in a movie that's being released in the 2020s how does that resonate and i feel like they hit some beats in top gun maverick which is paying homage to the original top gun movie it's a bit of a it's a bit of a nudge bit of a wink hey guys we get it this is for you this is a bit of fan service and the rest of the movie we're going to give you some payoffs we're going to move the story forward a little bit I mean I guess the only omission literally the only omission from a major character and a major plot and a major story from the first movie is the Kelly McGillis character she's yeah. not referenced whatsoever but everybody else in one way shape or form is goose Iceman, even like goose's wife you know everyone gets some sort of like payoff in terms of where the character ended up and what's going on and like i said for for me it was fun i actually can't wait to watch it a second time yeah maybe a third time and i can't wait to do that double feature where you watch the original and then you go right into top gun maverick i feel
0: like this movie is like such a payoff for people who grew up with top gun Mm -hmm. that's what it felt like to me like almost like when we talk about like legacy sequels and we will in a little bit but like the idea of there's two different experiences either you're watching it straight up as a sequel I want to know what continues from the story or second it's just like a whole new audience that's completely and that's me walking into this movie blank slate being like all right, cool let's see what's up I'm aware of Top Gun pop culturally you can't possibly not be yeah but
1: yeah again it's just it's two very different ways of watching this movie 100% and here's the thing most sequels whack Mm -hmm. most sequels let alone most sequels that are made maybe an entire generation after the original so what comes to mind right there as everyone knows i'm a massive fan of terminator 1 and terminator 2 right terminator 2 arguably one of the greatest sequels of all time every single sequel after terminator 2 trash yeah every single one let's go into aliens the original alien iconic aliens again one of the greatest sequels ever made i don't like any other alien movie after that and it's done in the 90s and the 2000s and like, you know, for for Tom, for Tom Cruise to, you know, say, hey, we're going to make a sequel. You know how hard that must have been initially? Yeah, We're going to make a sequel or he wants to make a sequel to the most iconic movie of all, one of the most iconic movies of all time. The movie that helped launch his career to the stratosphere. That is such a risky move. Right. And to see all the commercial and critical success that the movie is getting now. Everyone involved must feel so good about the effort, the time they took, and even just pulling the trigger. And then once you pull the trigger, there's no going back. We have massive, massive expectations because there's a whole, like I said, multiple generations of fans that either grew up with this movie or have an affiliation with this movie and we, we can't let them down. And for me, that represents that audience that did not let us down. I, I totally understand that. Yeah. I
0: totally get that, that like, there are hardcore fans. And I think people are gonna love this movie for a long time. Cause it scratches an itch for like a lot of people. It's just for me when I want to think of like 80s movies. I'm watching like Breakfast Club. I'm watching that whole that whole scene with with the, uh, the with the Brat Pack. Yeah. I'm watching like Back to the Future. That's more my, my jam. Like I don't know. I, I guess Coming of Age is more what I personally enjoyed mm. from the
1: 80s. This isn't Coming of Age. This isn't your this 80s is completely How would you use Coming of Age no. kind of uh, flavor at all? And
0: frankly, it's not my jam as far as Tom Cruise goes. Right. right? Like I feel like this was it. Risky Business. Days of Thunder, like those kinds of movies are all like hardcore, macho, I fucking want to feel like some testosterone in the movie theater. If I'm going for Tom Cruise, I'm going Rain Man, I'm going Eyes Wide Shut, Magnolia, Vanilla Sky, like those kinds of movies are more of my jam. Jerry
1: Maguire, Interview with a Vampire. That's
0: my jam. Sure. And, And even for this, this felt like for me, I don't know, I feel like Miles Teller's a better actor than this. I feel like Tom Cruise is a better actor than this, even though they're perfectly performing for what they should have for this movie. It's just, again, I just can't be like, oh shit, those performances are fucking
1: great. You know this reminds me of? We have friends in our group that are not into the MCU. They are not into comic book movies. Mm -hmm. Right now, in terms of a global cinema going audience, I would say 90% of people that are driving the business of Hollywood and the box office are MCU slash comic book movie fans right and they enjoy the vast majority of what they're getting served multiple times a year yeah but you have some friends like yo i don't give a crap about the flash or batman i don't care about spider-man or the 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 post-credit scene in doctor strange 2 like and then and that's fine there's going to be you're not going to hit everyone all the time you're not going to hit 100 percent of the audience with everything you serve up but for this movie to come out in this era where like, I, c- I can't even think, honestly, I can't from the top of my head right now think of another movie in the last few years that has been able to get this kind of success that's only literally comparable to the major comic book movies. Yeah, It's kind of crazy to think about it in I, this day and age.
0: Absolutely, and and as far as Tom Cruise goes, it's actually interesting to see that he is rehashing a lot of his other properties. Obviously he's gonna be doing Mission Impossible, what is it, seven and eight that are coming out in the next two years. Right. That stuff's bananas too. It's just this guy is re- hes relying a lot on his legacy, but I don't
1: blame him because it doesn't feel like he's doing a lot of other stuff, period. The uh, the Mission Impossible stuff, I have to give him a pass on because that's more like him, that's his James Bond role. Yeah. Right? That's a continuation of a story that started in the late 90s. And the funny thing about Mission Impossible is if you look at, uh, and I've seen all the movies, I'm, I'm actually a big fan of the franchise. After Mission Impossible 1, there was a bit of a dip in quality for a few sequels. Mm -hmm. The crazy thing is the last Mission Impossible movie that came out a few years ago is probably arguably the best of the entire franchise. It got crazy critical and commercial success. And we're like, how how are they gonna give us like the sixth movie in this franchise and that be the best one? So I feel like after the first few, they had a bit of quality control. So Say, listen, we got to really up the script, the plot, the storyline, the characters, and also the action. And also, let's just be honest, man. Tom Cruise is one of the very rare actors in Hollywood. I don't know what his insurance, uh, you know, policy is. Man is doing everything himself. Yeah. All these stunts. He's a gangster for he, that, bro. He is living his life to the edge, on and off screen. And it's it's wild to see him do something like this because he's one of the most bankable actors in Hollywood history. Mavericks. Yeah. Hear Maverick. yeah. about ice? Set. want another one? Really? Yeah. I feel the need, the need for
0: speed. Even as far as like what, the other legacy characters like Val Kilmer as Iceman, like that's such an interesting little way to number one, bring him back. Also
1: to kind of kill him off with this because he dies from basically what he's suffering from currently. Oh man, talk about paying homage. First of all, what a beautiful Thing, to say, hey, listen, Val, we know like what you're going through in your in your personal life, but you are as iconic. This is the thing about Top Gun. People may think, oh, that's the Tom Cruise movie. There are iconic characters all across this movie. There really are, right? And Val Kilmer as Iceman was Maverick's kind of like ying to his yang, yeah. right? And to see him come back and they kind of, again, given that payoff, he's the admiral now and he's the one that's still vouching for Maverick and helping him out when he's in a jam. To so just to see him back on screen and to give him you know five minutes in one of the most successful movies of the year in 2022, given what he's going through in his personal life, I just thought it was a beautiful thing just to have him on board. And it was the right thing to do as well. Yeah. You can't have a Top Gun ma- uh, a sequel without Iceman, but in some capacity. You need
0: people from the original to like fill that spot as well. But again, it's just, to see him actually contribute in the way he did in that movie, I was like, damn, this is like some really heavy, like, that was the heaviest part of the movie for me right, right, by a mile. Other person I want to talk about is Miles Teller. Yeah, I want to get your impression of him as Rooster,
1: basically as a character with a legacy through Goose. Number one, in terms of what, the, what he looks like, it's like, yeah, oh, that's Goose's son. Yeah, That's like brilliant. I'm a big fan of Miles Teller and I've felt really, really bad me for him. Too. Yo, after Fantastic Four came out, I was like, oh no. Like, what's going on like is this going to be something that crashes his career or something yeah and then I, I look at his kind of like resume and i'm like man this guy has actually you know come through the other end here and like he's still young enough and he's still going to be around for a long time and yeah man like i'm a big fan of him i love i love war dogs i think that's a really good movie uh only the brave is also a really good movie as well i love
0: whiplash whiplash is great i, I really think miles teller is one of the most talented like young actors of this his generation at the very least. Like, yeah. But like he just hasn't gotten that signature role yet. Mm -hmm. This might be it, I don't know. Like obviously this isn't for me, but as far as like impact goes, this feels like his biggest role. Whiplash though, I'd still say that's his best role. Mm -hmm. And that movie specifically makes me feel like there's like these lingering expectations I have of him, right? Like I remember his early roles, like he was in Project X, he was in 21 and over, he was in Two Night Stand. Like all these movies you just kind of throw on for fun. And then he was in a remake of footloose. Yeah, yeah. Like smaller movies, but it feels like personally, like he just is waiting to have like that role that kind of defines him as an actor and then build off that. Because he just hasn't gotten that yet. I think he's tried a few times with like Divergent. He's tried with Fantastic Four. He's tried to make like these movies where he can like just be part of a massive franchise going forward. It's almost kind of interesting that he hasn't been part of an actual MCU project at this point. He just feels like somebody who would be like. Great yeah. as like somebody who they can rely on for the next couple of years,
1: but I just feel like he's not at that spot that he should be yet. What's interesting to note is he is now going to be working with director Joseph Kaczynski again. So as a follow up to Top Gun Maverick, he's playing a role in Spiderhead, which is currently in post production. So yeah. think about that. It's like Top Gun Maverick has already been in the can for so long and just got released, and we're not too far away from Spiderhead being uh, b- being released, and that's again Joseph Kozinski and uh, and miles teller gonna be involved in the movie as well yeah i'm pretty sure that's coming out this month so
0: that's gonna be an interesting one to watch because not only does it have him but it also has chris Hemsworth. and i've heard a few things about this movie i'm, I'm excited to see where it kind of lands mm-hmm. my dad believed in you i'm not gonna make the same mistake as far as legacy sequels go where does this kind of rank up for you it's high for me in yeah. terms
1: of like the payoff and the homage the link between the two movies what 20 30 years later or wherever it's been Sequels are hard to do, man. Yeah, and honestly, to-
0: legacy sequels in general are difficult. We just saw Ghostbusters, and and it's not like that was like heavily praised or something like that, right? For me, I'm talking. I think the best ones are Mad Max Fury Road, Star Wars: A Force Awakens. I get that you know that one's a little bit mixed response, blah blah blah. But like, I felt like that that movie accomplished a lot of the feeling of Star Wars really, really well. I really love Blade Runner twenty forty nine and Creed. I think I think those four are like
1: as elite as it gets Creed for sure that's definitely up there Blade Runner 2049 I agree Uh, again for me I'd have to put this in the mix only because I'm a huge fan of the original this is the thing you can't put something into the mix if you're not a big fan of the original I agree you're not gonna get the payoff you're just not gonna get the payoff you're not gonna throw it into the mix I will say though the biggest kind of argument for that is Mad
0: Max Fury Road because I walked into that movie knowing jack shit I knew nothing about that and I walked
1: out being like holy fuck that's one of the best experiences I've ever had in a movie theater. Did you watch the originals? No. So that was something very interesting because I think that was almost like a reboot, not a direct sequel. I, that, that movie by itself- That's like, I've, we're gonna make Mad an Max again for our new generation. Yeah. That's not like, oh, we're gonna, all these characters that you fell in love with in the original movies, we're gonna pay off. That's I, I where-
0: It's the best version of it though. It's the, the best legacy sequel, if you ask me, period. But is it a sequel though? Is it
1: a reboot? I think it's a sequel. I think it's a, at the very least, it still a lives in the same world though. I would classify that more as a reboot, right. more as a direct sequel. Soft talking reboot. about a legacy sequel, like in *Force Awakens*, it's not like we're not forgetting the Star Wars, uh, you know, characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in *Creed*, it's like Rocky still around. Yeah. Right. In *Blade Runner* 24, it's like all those characters that you fell in love with in the first movie and you have an affiliation for. That for me is that's a legacy sequel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That for me, okay. All those characters, 20, 30 years later, where are they now? What are they up to? What journey have they been on? We're gonna give you all that and introduce a whole lot of new stuff in this movie. That for me is a big payoff, and that's what I consider to be a legacy sequel. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, what about as far as our categories go? Who is the best character coming in this movie? It's easily Maverick. Tom, Tom Cruise, I think, did a great job just jumping back into the role. I think a lot of the movies that Tom Cruise stars in, like, it's easy to be like, oh that's just Tom Cruise doing Tom Cruise. But I really feel like, he, especially that scene between him and, and uh, Val Kilmer, which I think is the best scene in the movie. There's like. The emotional weight of Iceman and Maverick sharing a scene together all those years later after the first movie was so damn powerful for me do you think this
0: movie has enough legs to continue as a franchise like do you think
1: they would continue with Rooster as the main or bring back Tom Cruise or something like that Uh, you know what this is a tough one I don't think they're gonna do like another Top Gun movie I feel like everything that had been building up for the last 15, 20 years, I can't even imagine how many times Tom Cruise has been asked, hey, are you ever going to make a Top Gun sequel, right? They have done near enough a perfect job that you're good. You've still got Mission Impossible franchise to Mm -hmm. to work with. You don't really need this to kind of keep banking at the box office. And you've proven that it can be done. It's like a fantastic piece of work on the overall Tom Cruise resume right now. That I I personally hope they don't do a Top Gun sequel again. I feel like Top Gun and Top Gun Maverick are a perfect marriage, and I think you just leave it at that. Okay, fair enough. What about uh, best scene? What would you got for this one? I just mentioned. I think the best scene is probably Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer sharing that moment between um, between themselves, you know, Maverick and and Iceman. It's like a, I think a three, four, five minute scene, but it's one scene. They're both on camera together. It's a beautiful scene. That being said, though, the entire Sequence when they run that final mission yeah. is exactly old-school blockbuster action for the 2020s. Yeah. And it was just breathtaking. I can't wait to see it again. We were lucky enough that the screen that we watched the movie on wasn't IMAX, but it was one of those really big... 4D, 4, whatever you call it, 4D, 4DX kind of like screens and the sound was incredible and it was just like literally slapped you in the face, man. It was really cool. Uh,
0: for me, I'm going with the scene where Maverick saves Rooster and then Rooster pays him back by saving him from that helicopter turret. That was badass. I thought the action, uh, the action of that and the action overall is so well done and I, that's the biggest thing I kind of walk away from which is why I kind of walk away like still a little bit hollow just because I didn't connect on an emotional level. But as far as action goes, like, my God, that whole situation, like any scene where they're in a jet is so mind-blowingly good. And it just feels like such a fresh way to shoot cinema. And, and, and that is my going to be my lingering part of like
1: walking away from this movie. What's also cool is, and they kind of talk about this in the movie, is like we are coming to an era in the real world where pilots are going to be obsolete. Mm-hmm it's all automated, it's all AI, it's all drone work and stuff like that, right? Yeah. So to kind of just show, you know, pilots physically doing the manual work and trying to fly these jets and then that be part of the story, it's not gonna be something that we see in 10, 15, 20 years from now, you know? Yeah, no?
0: yeah, 100%. Um, as far as star rating goes, five being the best movie you've ever seen,
1: zero being the worst where's this end up Give it a 4.25 uh, really good really enjoyed it uh, Top Gun for me is still obviously number one but right behind it is, is Top Gun Maverick I uh, okay. had, had a great time I would recommend it and I can't wait to watch it again yeah fair enough personally I'm
0: going 2.75 just didn't hit the mark for me but I'm not calling it a bad movie or something it's just more on the average
1: side for me but that's everything for Top Gun Maverick John but any last thoughts on that no I mean listen for a whole generation this done a great job and who knows, maybe there are other franchises, the rights that studio has to to IP and old movies that are gonna look at this like, hey, it can be done. You just gotta get the right people involved because if you do, you're gonna get an incredible payoff for a loyal fan base and a loyal audience.
0: You know, one thing I will say, as far as positives go, I love the fact that this isn't like some sort of comic movie or something like that. I like the fact that blockbusters can still exist outside of that space. We need I, it. We need it. We need something different because at the end of the day, there, always is like a popular genre, but it always goes away. So if you keep stopping, if you just stop making these kinds of movies, you're going to be stuck in a fucking bubble that nobody's like, ma- people
1: might not be riding the superhero wave in the next 10 years, who the hell knows? Like I said, you and me are always going to be there for the big comic book you know releases, right? But we have friends that don't care about mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. at all. They don't, they, and they're not at, at the point where they care about investing 15 years worth of content just to catch up to all the stories. Yeah. So for those guys and that, portion of the audience they need something that's something easily digest digestible and even if they hadn't seen top gun originally if they'd made a plan to watch top gun maverick they can watch one movie and get caught up with the story yeah yeah. yeah. it's hard for them to get caught up to like you know 18 movies yeah something great in the mcu yeah Yeah, exactly
0: i get that uh but yeah let's get into some of the news this week uh the first thing i just want to talk a little bit about like inside industry stuff netflix is looking to focus on making bigger and better films while releasing fewer than it previously did. Mm -hmm. So the company said that they're going to be reducing the output of lower budget films, which could become more niche. Uh, They're hoping to stop green lighting expensive vanity projects like The Irishman. They said that uh, this tendency to do anything to attract talent and give them carte blanche is going away. It's an interesting approach considering there's so many streaming services and everybody's trying to make a buck. But this is what I thought Netflix was gonna excel in. You know what I mean? Like trying to attract amazing talent, let them kind of do whatever they want and be that platform where great art can be made if you really want to. Right. Especially like smaller movies and stuff like that. I just don't know. Like this business model sounds like they're trying to fight Disney
1: like with Disney's arms. I mean, my take from that is that they're trying to focus more on quality than quantity and giving a blank check and a scattergun approach of seeing what lands and what works and what, that's probably gone now. And it's because obviously the stock price has plummeted. They have to have a, or they're probably going through a reevaluation of their overall business model. And this is actually kind of almost like the, the example of why the Hollywood studio system works in many ways is when you have a studio and a producer to help rein you in, right? Yes, Top Gun Maverick, for example, is a Joseph Kaczynski movie, but you've got Jerry Bruckheimer as the producer. This is his baby and this is Tom Cruise's baby right so you're not going to get willy nilly I'm going to do everything I want to do no 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 no. this is a team effort let's talk about this and what direction you're going in and it's not going to be for every filmmaker we still want Christopher Nolan to make his movie you know give him the blank check give him the, the carte blanche on what he wants to do hell yeah but like what netflix has been doing is i think they've just given that approach to like every single filmmaker and not every single filmmaker is capable of doing that i think it needs to be a bit of a team effort in terms of like how are we going to make this movie what project who are the right pieces and and do it a bit in more of a collaborative effort absolutely but i just
0: hope they don't stop taking chances on stuff they're just not 100% sure is going to be a success mm. like for example like today the news came out that stranger things 4 the se- season 4 part 1 of season 4 it broke the record for Netflix's biggest premiere weekend ever mm-hmm. with 287 million hours of viewed. And it's just interesting that like, who knows, would Stranger Things even be made it with this kind of thought process? Like, is are these the kind of projects that are, are going to be lost? The ones that are just taking a swing? Like, I, I feel like Stranger Things, why would that be thought of on paper as maybe your biggest possible franchise on your entire platform yeah i think they're gonna think about like like squid games like
1: uh, would squid games be made under this model i just Mm. don't know it's an interesting thing to think about a series versus a movie that you're going to try and green light right Mm. are you going to take would you consider taking a risk a show based on you know 80s kind of filmography i think where my take on what you just read in terms of their statement is like maybe we don't try and make a movie with De Niro and Pacino and, and Leonardo DiCaprio and all these other A-lists that we have to give him 20, 30, 40 mil rather let's be a little bit more creative in giving you know, new filmmakers a chance with unknown actors and maybe we can bring someone that's you know, from the 80s, hasn't been in a movie or a TV show in a while, give them like five minutes or whatever. I think that's the kind of direction that I think they're gonna be more comfortable in yeah. and not like, okay, let's try and get the Oscar this year. Let's try and get- Listen, had they won an Oscar, I-, I feel like this would have been a completely different
0: conversation if they won any Oscar for the past couple of years. It's just a situation of once they do land on something like that, I think they'll get, they just want the credibility. Yeah. And I think that's what they're waiting
1: for. They try to get a Don't Look Up. I mean, how lo- how much did Don't Look Up cost them? Do you know? I'm talking It was pretty
0: expensive. Head? Yeah. I remember, it. I don't remember off the top of my head, but I remember it was pretty expensive. Mm. At the end of the day, it's got like every actor under the sun in that yeah. movie. Yeah. Right? And I
1: think a, a project like that yeah. moving forward is what they're probably going to rein in on. Yeah. Rather than say, oh, okay, let's just give, you know, a couple of new filmmakers a, a six episode uh, show for like 20, 30 mil, see what you can make with it. Yeah. I'd rather them gamble on more stuff like the Duffer Brothers. Then the established hollywood stuff i, I get that yeah, yeah i totally get that
0: uh, murray one small thing yeah when you bring me out can you introduce me as joker what's wrong with your real name that's what you called me on the show a joker do you remember Did i i don't know well if you say so kid you know joker it is it's good thanks murray next following the success of the joker david saslav Uh, He apparently has asked Todd Phillips to do more in the DC universe and potentially act as an advisor. Obviously, he's already mentioned that he isn't sure what they're going to be doing with the Joker going forward. He's also mentioned that he's not a big fan of sequels and all that kind of stuff. It's interesting to see that this is the approach that they're going for, because it almost felt like this is what they were doing with Christopher Nolan back in the day, too. Mm -hmm. And that just didn't pan out either. The Joker was such a
1: great success because it's the Joker. Yeah. It's it's like Batman's arch nemesis, his his ultimate rival. Do I want to see... A standalone movie on the riddler or the penguin or any other villain in the batman universe i don't know if my appetite is there for anybody else if i'm mm-hmm. being honest with you now but that's the thing there are heroes that aren't featured
0: at all that would probably make fantastic movie characters like we haven't seen anything from robin in so long why hasn't somebody like robin been either brought in or even given like a separate franchise mm. i would love to see where he exists inside gotham maybe by himself before he even attaches himself to put that, that man down the line yeah i don't know i'm still
1: pretty much down on most things dc outside of you know everything that david is is going to be doing moving forward so fair enough
0: there's so much star wars news that just came out recently so i just want to kind of run through all of those yeah uh first apparently as far as endor goes we're gonna be getting it sometime in august i believe it's officially gonna be two seasons. 12 episodes each, with the final episode of Season 2 leading right into Rogue One. Uh, So, right off top, obviously we haven't got a chance to watch Obi-Wan just because we were in Vegas. We're going to do a whole breakdown just completely on that as a series once it does finish. But as far as this goes, Endor, are you excited for it? Do you feel like it's necessary to have a franchise that kind of builds around Rogue One? Even though it's like one of the most underrated properties in star wars yeah it just it just feels like this is an interesting choice because i wasn't sure what their direction was with this
1: franchise and or that is you know my take on everything we're getting on disney plus from star wars i feel like now that we've been through a couple of years with almost like a similar business model with the mcu i feel like there's gonna be some properties that we're gonna be super hyped about like yeah. for example kenobi yeah Or oh, sorry let me just say it in a different way that i'm gonna be hyped for right like Kenobi and then there are some projects where I'm like is that gonna be the Falcon the Winter Soldier Sure. For me is that this one
0: feels like it's gonna be political as hell yeah and I, I don't mind that I, I you know what Star Wars is political it is what it is sure but uh it definitely feels like this is like it just feels like it's interesting that this is leading into Rogue One and they needed 24 episodes to get there right that's the only thing that's interesting to me is like how long does this show have to be because I'm so accustomed to like six to eight 10 maybe episodes per season right i love that yeah condense your stories i don't need to extend this shit Mm -hmm. is this like i also wonder like are these going to be full hour-long episodes are they going to be 22 minutes like what are we talking about here it definitely feels like one of those
1: shows i may want to binge yeah yeah wait for the full drop and just binge it in a day or something yeah
0: it's gonna be interesting to see who who kind of appears in those shoes too because it's just a totally different world it's no jedis involved i mean probably but we'll see who ends up actually being a part of this as well
1: by the way you know how we've always been so freaked out about some of these mcu series and like you know not watching it on release day and yeah. like getting spoiled i don't know if i'm lucky but like i haven't been spoiled for I been, either. yeah i haven't been spoiled I, for i Kenobi. saw one
0: thing i saw one thing that i can't i possibly there's no way i could have avoided that right but as far as like plotline goes i have no clue what's going on and i've been you know i'm active on social media i know what's yeah yeah it, it's, it's kind of interesting to see that. I actually that, like that. Game. Is it can this be like the this model should be the norm. Yeah, 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 this should be the norm, man. People yeah. should respect spoilers. Uh as far as The Mandalorian goes, we've gotten a bunch of news from that. I don't really want to go into specific plot points that were revealed when they showed the trailer, but as far as just news going forward, they're already starting to work on writing season 4. So it just shows that whatever they have planned for season 3, they're at the very least obviously the franchise of the Mandalorian is fucking fire and so strong but they're strong it's strong enough that season 3 is already gonna be setting up for season 4 yeah and uh, also as far as different uh, Disney shows go Tales of the Jedi is coming out it's gonna be a series of animated shorts following certain characters including Count Dooku a young Qui-Gon Jinn a couple episodes of the different parts of the life of Ahsoka every story is gonna feature a Jedi from the prequel era I love that. I love expanding on that part of the whole universe. We haven't got to explore it. I think we've been asking for like an Old Republic show forever, but
1: I'll take this too. You know what's interesting about, let me just go through everything that you mentioned there. First of all, Mandalorian, give me as many seasons as you want because I enjoy the hell out of that. It's been the Star Wars property hit for me when it comes to Disney+, Plus, let alone Kenobi, because I haven't watched it yet. Now, when it comes to the animated shorts, that pitch that you just gave me, I think I'm way more interested in that because I think the 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 mixture of those shorts that we got what was it called again visions visions i never finished it and there was nothing there that was like compelling me to finish it either i think i got through like three or four or ha- or halfway through the various episodes and i just like haven't had that need want or will to like let me watch all of these and i'm sure yeah. they're good or you know whatever but like- they are i
0: actually ended up watching a bunch of them with like my nephews and nieces and stuff like that just it's just like a fun show that you can kind of throw on when kids are around. And right. It's a good show by itself as well. Yeah. Like I, especially
1: the first episode, absolute banger. That's my favorite one and yeah. I don't know if that's the best on the bunch but the first episode was like, yo, I want to live in that world. There
0: for- are a few that are just absolute bangers but I totally understand that like, you know, there's some where they're just trying to play at a concert. You know what I mean? Like it's there's some devi- like slice of life kind of stuff too which I appreciate on a different end and that's the kind of stuff I feel more comfortable kind of showing to my four-year-old nephews and stuff like right. that right so it kind of works both ways and it kind of introduces
1: itself to like a different audience as well but with what you just mentioned all the characters that we know really well and just ha- that's almost like their version of what if yeah. for me yeah. and i'm like oh, that for me will probably end up being appointment viewing when it drops
0: yeah yeah exactly i didn't at the end of the day like man we just haven't explored that part of the world like i said i just am so interested to see everything about qui-gon everything about uh count dooku and especially ahsoka like Just seeing that stuff come to life and give people more context, give me more context. And it also shows that, like, the fact that they're introducing these prequel characters through this that's always a little bit of like a sprinkle, see what's working. And then maybe down the line, we're going to get a whole new movie and a whole new franchise just around those
1: characters. Maybe this is a nice way of breaking uh, Liam Neeson back into the role. Yeah. He kind of said, hey, if it's not a movie, I'm not involved. But like, if you could just do the voiceover for the anime and, and that breaks you in. Yeah, and he, he has actually
0: is coming back. His, he's doing the voice of Qui-Gon Jinn. His son's doing the voice of young Qui-Gon Jinn. Wow. So right off there, it's going to be interesting to see how who gets basically brought into the fold again. Right.
1: Had he been born in the Republic, we would have identified him, The Force is unusually strong with him. That much is clear.
0: As far as what we talked about a few weeks ago, we knew that John Watts was leaving the Fantastic Four franchise and he was coming to Star Wars, essentially. So he's still in the Disney family. Now we know that Jude Law will star in John Watts' Star Wars series and it's going to be called Skeleton Crew. The series follows a group of kids around 10 years old that are going to be lost in the galaxy. Apparently the show is going to connect with The Mandalorian and also the quote coming out of that was it's not a kid's show. This feels like, we were talking about Stranger Things before, this feels like Stranger Things in the Star Wars universe for me, like as far as like feel.
1: Yeah, also a big move for for John Watts to kind of move away from the feature film Mm -hmm. side of things and go into a series. Yeah. Obviously John Watts is someone that you know, Disney like likes to work with because if you think about the movies he made with Spider-Man, they weren't what again, going back to what I was saying before, there are some filmmakers that aren't gonna give you the imprint of their vision. They're just gonna work really well with the studio. They're gonna work really well with the producer. So his relationship with Kevin Feige and Marvel was just outstanding. Like he delivered what they asked for, commercially successful. Everyone loved the Spider Man trilogy, right? Now he's dipping into this world of Star Wars. He's probably working with Kathleen Kennedy and those guys. Maybe Kevin Feige jumps in a little bit here and there, but that's exactly what disney is looking for right now is that we want to work with filmmakers that can get the job done can obviously you know deliver the goods but work with us in in many different ways shapes and forms and i feel like john watts is almost like the poster boy of that person absolutely and this franchise we talked about last
0: time too but like i just feel like this is right up my alley right like this is just sounds like a blast i can't wait to watch the show this is gonna be appointment viewing for me like there's no way i'm not i'm gonna be spoiled for this i'm watching every single week I'm maybe more excited about this entire series than I am for any other series going forward for fr- like for Star Wars. It's just such an intriguing new little aspect that we have never got to explore for Star Wars.
1: And kudos to bring on board Jude Law. Like, yeah, I kind of say kudos, but I almost like feel like we've mentioned this before. Like every A-list actor, doesn't matter if you've won Oscars or not, 95% of them want to be in business with Disney in some way, shape, or form, whether it's on the Marvel side, the Star Wars side or something, right? Um so maybe maybe I shouldn't be too surprised, but it's still a good thing when you have an absolutely incredible, capable actor that's gonna bring some levitas and weight to your project. And Jude Lord definitely does that. A hundred
0: percent. Speaking of uh, that 90% or really speaking of that 10%, Kathleen Kennedy said that they were talking about the Lando series that's supposed to be happening with Donald Glover starring in that. They basically said that he's a very busy guy. If we could do it tomorrow, I'd love that. Donald, he's the one that holds all the cards here. There's no movement. I will say that honestly, but it's not for a lack of trying. He's got another series and I think one other thing, and then he'll come our way, so patiently waiting. Captain Lindo Calrissian. Han Solo. Looks like you're uh, having a good day. I'm a lucky guy. Can I ask you a question, Captain Calrissian? Anything, Han. That's Han that's okay. I heard a uh, story about you, I was wondering if it's true. Everything you heard about me is true. It's interesting to see, number one, that this is how in demand Don Glover is. Like this guy has just got project after project and he's just ready to shoot. And uh, obviously they just wrapped up Atlanta season three and I've heard nothing but praise about that. I'm still on my list as well, but season four is coming out. That's it. That's done and then let's see what else he's coming with. But Lando feels like a property that when they do it, I hope they get it right because that character is so awesome. And Don Glover is so awesome in that role. It just feels like such a missed opportunity from any sort of benefit from that solo project.
1: My take and my read on this is this is what happens when you're dealing with a legitimate artist. Donald Glover can do whatever he wants. You can just tell like he's not in this game to just cash in checks and just do the, the next big you know project that's going to be a guaranteed commercial success is like hey he wants to do what he is artistically driven to do uh and i respect that and i love it and you know when the time is right maybe they do it but even if they don't it's like i, I respect on a glove for the kind of moves he's made in his career so far yeah 100 percent.
0: and the last thing as far as star wars news goes uh kathleen kennedy did confirm that the next star Wars film is going to be taika watiti's we talked about this last week. We love Taika Waititi and I just can't wait to see what he ends up coming with. I, I just It feels like they've been teeing this property up so much yeah. that like whatever it ends up being, I just want to know the concept. I want to know something to get excited because we've just been so deprived of information for this project and it feels like Taika, especially coming into Thor next month, I hope we get a little something something when he is doing the press store for that.
1: I'll be honest, the thing that excites me most outside of Taika Waititi being attached to this project. I just want a feature movie that potentially can turn into a series or a franchise or whatever, that's a complete departure from the Skywalker saga. That's all I, that's all I ask for. I, I want something new, it's a big universe. There's lots of like timelines to work with. If we can go into the past, we can go into the future. Just stay away from the Skywalker stuff and give me new characters, new stories, something different to bite into. If they could do that for me, I'm gonna be all in on this. I, I agree. And I really think this is their opportunity to kind of
0: deviate from that and really set up something completely fresh in the Star Wars universe. But I will say, whatever Taika does, I trust that dude. I think even if it is a Skywalker saga, let's say it's a whole movie about Rey, who the hell knows? But I trust this guy so
1: much that I think he's going to figure it out no matter what. You know what? Maybe now I can be more agreeable with something like that because we know that with the, the, the new sequels that we got, there wasn't a plan in place from the, from the jump. And I think they learned their lesson. So if they're going to go into more Skywalker saga stuff, mm-hmm. I hope they've got a plan. Yeah. And like, hey, Tyco, we're going to attach you to three movies. Yeah, yeah. And this is the story we're going to tell together across three movies. And we're not going to be like, hey, JJ Abrams, do you want to come on for the second part? And the third, none of that stuff's going to yeah, be happening yeah. this time around.
0: But that's everything for the news. I think the biggest thing that we kind of walked away from our Vegas trip was. Aew Double or Nothing. We were we were in the T-Mobile Arena, and they had what is arguably their most prominent show for the entire year. Let's break down Aew Double or Nothing. First thing uh, I will say, uh, just because I want to get a few things. Just off the bat, I think general comments that everyone kind of feels from walking away from those shows. Number one, I did think the show was a great fucking show from AEW. Number two, yes, it was too long. Yes, I would have cut the ATT match. Yes, I would have cut the TBS title match. Yes, I would have cut the Darby Allin match, even though all of those are fine. But it just, as far as timing goes, they just kind of were there on the show and they didn't feel important. And I think that was reflected in the audience's reaction to them. But... Having said all of that I just wanted to also say That everything kind of Worked out for the best Because timing wise If Those matches Weren't there I think we would have Missed a very special moment And we'll talk about it But I just wanted to ask you What were your thoughts What did you kind of Walk away from that show with A good feeling Bad
1: feeling Anything like oh mostly good mostly good like i'm not like i've been looking forward to my first aw experience for a very long time and it, i'm so glad it was our collective first aw experience it was a pay-per-view it was on las vegas it was kind of like a, a payoff for some major major stories that we've been glued to for the best part of like in some cases six months in some cases a few years yeah and uh, yeah i think for the most part like my sentiments are similar similar to what you just explained right there it's like yeah there were a bunch of matches that had they cut them out i think the in arena experience would have been a lot better i felt like there were moments where i'm like come on let's keep this moving yeah it's beginning to drag i don't need this right now yeah
0: yeah, yeah. I, th- I think like the idea that like a, a card should not go past 10 10- 10 matches right i just think that should be like a hard and fast rule for any AEW pay-per-view going forward just because when they get past that point you can just like the audience knew we knew going in okay cool this is gonna be too long I think everybody knew that and that was like the automatic criticism because even on paper they knew
1: that 13 matches is way too fucking long and here's the difference sometimes i feel like we could maybe consume this a lot easier if you we were watching at home in a pay-per-view sure we can go oh, i'm sorry just go out and take a break or whatever right oh i'm gonna just like you know get a bit more comfortable but when you're in the arena and you're fixated to your seat yeah you gotta like keep that energy and especially when you're chanting along and singing along to songs and trying to help be a participant with some of these matches it takes a lot of you as a a member of the audience in terms of energy absolutely agree Um, but like I said I think you take that element out overall I had a really good time uh, at Double or Nothing I feel like when we walk away from these shows like a lot of people
0: might be like well I wasn't sure if I wanted this guy to win or that guy to win but like the one thing that I completely walk away from this movie and the reason why I'm okay with those matches that I mentioned staying in because if we didn't have those matches stay in we wouldn't have had for me, one of the best moments I've ever had through pro wrestling. I think the Anarchy in the Arena is one of the best matches I've ever seen, period. Right? As far as as far as being a fan, like I romanticized the Canadian Stampede from 1997, Team Uh the Hart Foundation versus what is it, Austin, uh the Road Warriors, Gold Dust, and uh was it Savio Vega or something like that? I think so, yeah. Yeah, something like that. But like uh that that whole thing is just something that i have always romanticized because the crowd is going f- Ken Shamrock no it's Ken Shamrock but <laughs> that that uh, that whole crowd and that audience and that experience is something that I'll go like fuck I wish I was there for that because when you're watching that match and you're just seeing like the stare down right at the start the crowd is going nuts and the, the camera is shaking from the fact that they're just part of this epic moment and that is something that is like oh you like pro wrestling but you haven't seen the Canadian Stampede let me show that to you that's one of the coolest parts of it Anarchy in the Arena, as far as a unique environment goes, the crowd going fucking nuts, for me, this was on the level of that. Mm-hmm. That's how much praise I can give. I think I could watch this match in 20 years and it's going to still end up being
1: one of the best matches I've ever seen. So, can I just say, up until the start of this match, I feel like the whole arena was on a bit of a down low, yeah. a bit of a dip. All of a sudden, Justin Roberts, who in my opinion, is doing the best work of his entire career, and it's because he's getting the license from Tony Khan and AEW to be really creative and really provide some input into what he does in terms of being a ring announcer, right? When he said, shit's about to hit the fan, I felt everybody stand up on their feet yep. and be like, okay, it was, let's
0: fucking go. It was instant. The energy shifted so tremendously just from that one line. Everyone just fucking... It was like everyone just got shot with cocaine. Vegas
1: just lit up. It was absolutely beautiful. And then we get the the JAS walk out to judas yeah and we were kind of talking about it because like you know everybody during this run that hasn't been able to go to an aw event they kind of like man i really want to just be a part of some of these like entrances right so we still got judas in full which is cool yeah when wild thing dropped and then it continued and continued and continued as the match is progressing the funny thing about wild thing first of all it was just complete chaos and it was fun you keep singing it there's elements of the match that are scattered across the entire arena where as a participant in the audience there's no way in hell you are keeping up with everything at all times like we had like i think brian's uh, danielson on on our side right but at the other end of the arena there are a couple of guys going through tables and it wasn't until after the event was all wrapped up i think a day or two later we kind of watched it back and I didn't realize it was Jericho unplugging the soundboard yeah, yeah. that cut Wild Thing off. And like, you missed it because it turns off and you're like, was it a mistake? Was it an error? it's funny because
0: like the audience
1: reaction that they wanted
0: would have been booze. And the fucking audience was so in tune with the song that they're like, boo, I want that song to can you do for the entire match? Yeah. And you know what it reminds me of? Remember in when Watch the Throne came out and Kanye and Jay-Z are putting out Paris and after, at every single event, they are every single concert they would be dropping that song and then they would drop it again and they drop it again and they drop it in some places 11 12
1: 16 times dude i remember being in clubs yeah and the, the dj would just repeat that song like, like five six times seven times again and yeah over. exactly and that's
0: what it felt like to me when this like the first time everyone's going crazy it's their entrance and then it came on again and you felt like the energies roar again and then it came on the third time and it was just another wave and when every time we heard the words wild thing the whole crowd no matter how many times they played it just got
1: more and more into it can you imagine it was amazing can you imagine the wrestlers during this match just feeling the energy of both the song and the crowd yeah and they performed oh man such a unique
0: experience such a obviously like a lot of people in the media have mentioned this is like similar to something like New Jack would have done right Right. Like he's done it where he's played the song during his matches and that really does add to the chaos but for them to execute it in this way and be able to deliver, especially with the legacy of the Stadium Stampede, this was just a perfect marriage of like, years and years of trying to create something new. And I give a shitload of credit to Chris Jericho. Because nobody else is carrying on the legacy of something like the Stadium Stampede and trying new things like he does. We've said this time and time
1: again, he's on that GOAT list. He really is. He has reinvented himself for what, 30 years now at this point. And every time it's fresh, it's new. At the same time, he's paying respect to what came before. He's paying homage. But he just continues to be must-watch TV. He continues to be an entertainer. He's in the best shape of his life at this point. It's It's insane. And the other thing I will say about this match is we had... Game seven, Boston Celtics yeah. against the Miami Heat taking place at the same time. And that's it, another thing. If you take away those other matches, it doesn't line up perfectly mm, with this. And and we had someone in our, in our crew that was like literally thinking about skipping the entire pay-per-view because he wanted to watch the game, right? Yeah. So he was streaming game seven on his phone and it was down to the final two minutes. All of a sudden, wild thing the match is going on and we are breaking our necks left and right because this is a crazy game that's going on right now so we're getting like a a shot of like oh my god every like 10 15 seconds because of what the chaos that was ensuing in our eyes exactly and not only that
0: but you got like the violence the like incredible spots as part of this match but for me when eddie walks down the entrance ramp holding the gas canister he's about to light jericho on fire he's about to light the lighter and then Daniel Bryan just knocks it out of his hand, I, it, I don't care. Put it against any Undertaker uh, iconography. Put it against any Mankind McFoley iconography. Put it against Hulk Hogan. This is as iconic a shot in professional wrestling as anything. Yeah. I the, don't
1: give a fuck. The photograph of him just walking down the aisle, blood all over his face. One of his eyes is barely open. He looks like a horror villain. Yeah. He looks incredible. And the
0: way he just played it, Number one, coming out and doing that, getting to the fight with Brian. And then, especially after the match, a lot of people wouldn't have seen this. I'm not sure if they caught it on camera. But after the match, Eddie is fighting every referee, every producer, anybody that's close to the match and trying to get it all to move on. He kept fighting everybody. Because he's so... And I love that. Because the idea that you're in a fight, in such a vicious fight and you're bleeding, why would you be so satisfied with a match just ending and just... There's that much chaos. He is the only one that stuck so much in character to just fucking go off until
1: he got to the back. And I respect that dude a hell of a lot coming out of this. And can I just say, up until maybe... like. Six nine months ago I wasn't really the biggest Eddie Kingston fan if wow. I'm being honest with you and like I feel like this particular run in the last 12 months has made me into an Eddie Kingston Listen, fan the work that he's done on AEW in, in the last year the programs the angles who he's been up against that has really kind of like made me a huge fan of what he brings to the table for me it's, it's uh,
0: at this point I just can't wait for the inevitability of him winning a world championship mm. when he does win the AEW world championship I think that's going to be A massive moment I don't care if he wins it And loses it the next day That's fine If he's a paper champion Whatever you want to call it Transitional It's all good That guy just needs to have That one moment Because number one He deserves it For the work that he puts in AEW And number two I think the crowd Is going to react So tremendously It would be It's like for me As far as missed opportunities Goes for babyfaces Like when you think of Like Sami Zayn When he was at his peak And for there to squander that When When you think of like How many times They had to fight so hard uh, just to get for fans to get Daniel Bryan to finally get a shot at like everything he did get. It's just this is such a layup, mm-hmm. and when it does inevitably happen, it's gonna be the biggest pop in the world. And when he loses it, I'm sure like very soon after, it's gonna be fucking a devastating moment that's gonna create whoever's next. Mm-hmm. And that it's just gonna be an epic moment regardless.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the cool thing about AEW, and we've said this a bunch in the past as well, is their roster is so deep, stacked with veterans guys in their prime and young talent coming through that you could literally just cherry pick a bunch of guys that could easily become world champion can easily have multiple epic angles and like programs with so many other guys that's the beauty about aew and as far as other matches
0: I thought the last three for me are the best ones right anarchy in the arena best match that is going to stand out as a uniquely great match in wrestling for me, period. Yeah. Like, even just comparing it to, like, oh, is that the match of the year? I don't know. I don't know how to compare it to, like, you know, uh, an Osprey match or a Shingo Takagi match or a Okada match or a Kenny
1: Omega match. I can't compare it to that. What I'm going to never forget about this match is the experience I had. Yeah. With my friends, watching this match, with Wild Thing playing, I'm never going to forget that. hundred percent. It's the... Mo- I- It is the biggest moment
0: that I walk away with, not only for Vegas, but maybe for the entire year for professional wrestling. I feel like this is the one that's really sticking with me. And I know it's only been a few days, but it really does feel like it's going to be one of those matches that we can go back to. In a couple of years and just throw on because it's so badass.
1: I feel like the only thing I could potentially compare it to in terms of what I'm anticipating coming down the road is that first AEW Canada show. If it is Toronto, like I know they're gonna go so hard, yeah, and like it's gonna be just an epic environment, yeah, and and maybe it's not gonna be a five-hour show this time, and I've like there's so many things to look forward to but for what we got in terms of our first AEW experience that match alone forget everything else that match alone was my biggest takeaway from the absolutely. whole program uh, i also love the
0: tag title match i thought that was absolutely incredible i feel like ricky starks is an absolute star i don't know if you got the same impression but i walked away from that match being like every near fall that ricky had felt like the crowd was the most hyped for that maybe yeah. it was just me but maybe because i'm a ricky starks mark but it feels like uh he's slowly becoming the guy I think like, everyone recognizes a guy. it yeah yeah yeah
1: uh, and
0: the other match the main event obviously like it had his two botches for Punk but I thought that match was fantastic yeah. start to finish I thought Hangman was absolutely incredible in that match I thought CM Punk selling was so good and I think they they made the right choice I think going forward the guy who's the most popular and who's really carrying his weight in the company should be the champion you know what I mean and uh, as much as I love Hangman and I feel like him over time he's going to be one of those guys who has multiple reigns and has incredibly long other title runs I just feel like this was the right time for this to happen and Punk's going to be the guy and I feel like he's the right guy to continue going forward House of Black versus Death Triangle I mentioned that I just I love that match I thought that was fantastic such a fun match and as far as squash matches go MJF versus Wardlow is as good a squash match as you could possibly get anybody who's saying that was like a burial in a negative way I just don't I don't get it It's like, what was it supposed to be? Was it supposed to be a five-star classic? Like, the story did not call for that. Mm -hmm. That would have been so fucking weird. It's like when we watched uh, Triple H versus Randy Orton and Triple H, his house gets invaded, Randy Orton comes and whatever the fuck they do, he kisses Stephanie and all this kind of stuff. And then they go and have a straight-up wrestling match at WrestleMania. That was not the feel, bro. That was not it. This was correct. This is exactly what it should have been done and they fucking executed it perfectly.
1: Mm -hmm. We only have four weeks until Forbidden Door in Chicago. It's in Chicago. And they've got four weeks to build up to whoever the main event's gonna be with CM Punk. Can I be honest for a second? I don't think he should be in the main event. You don't think so? I don't think he should be in the main event. And I'll tell you why. In
0: Chicago? Listen, I get that Chicago, I don't think you put him in last. Is he part of the main event in the WWE WrestleMania sense of like 10 main events happening? Yeah, absolutely. And I think logically, there's a lot of ways that you can probably have an amazing match with punk with a lot of those guys from new japan but it just feels like if they're gonna do something huge I, I so you know what i'm just gonna stop dancing around it i got a fantasy card all right i made it and i want you to tell me how you, what do you think of it hit me all right so first thing when you are doing punk there's a story that's been going on for years that the one guy that punk if he did come back for if it was gonna be somebody from new japan it was gonna be will Ospreay. that's the biggest match that i think punk can possibly have and the best match that you could possibly have. If anybody can carry CM Punk to the best possible match you can have at his current age, maybe ever, it's Will Ospreay. One of the best wrestlers on the fucking planet. I think that's like a great match. And not only that, but Ospreay has this storyline kind of going forward that everybody keeps screwing him. So, it's a built-in finish. Like, everything is right there for you to kind of like, number one, make Will Ospreay look fantastic. And come across to an American audience as a major deal Facing a guy like Punk. Next, I think what should actually be the main event for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship is Okada versus Brian Danielson. I think that's just too much of a layup, and I think it's just the biggest possible match that they can put on that card. I think you can headline a Wrestle Kingdom with that match. So you can headline a pay per view in the States or a Wrestle Kingdom. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter where you put it. That shit is selling. The other match uh we were supposed to get Tanahashi versus John Moxley at a New Japan event but they kind of pushed it back so it feels like this is like the most logical place. Those three matches feel like boom. That's set in stone. I think that would be my ideal situation. Anything on top of that is butter, cherry, whatever you want to put on top of your shit. The other matches I'd love to see. Samoa Joe versus Ishii. I want to just see two big guys just beat the shit out of each other. Hiromu Takahashi versus Darby Allin. I think they could have an absolute banger. Shingo versus Hangman. I think Shingo is the he he faced Okada at Wrestle Kingdom. He's coming off of title loss. Hangman coming off a of title loss. Have those two just come up and just have the fucking biggest banger you could possibly have. Just beat the shit out of each other. And then you have the opportunity with the news that Andrade and Rush are back together. Add Naito to that and have a six-man. You could have that against anybody. House of House of Black, Death Triangle, Jurassic Express, and Christian. Any one of those would be great. Zack Sabre Jr. and Tai Chi versus FTR. I know they're not the champions right now, but I think that'd be fantastic. That'd be the best FTR match I think you could have as far as tight teams go. And then that's not even including like, Jay White still has not have a match on my thing.
1: Suzuki doesn't have a match. There's just so many guys that you could still attach. So what's interesting about your kind of like, breakdown of fantasy booking, it's exclusively AEW versus New Japan. I, 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 Is that I, the move do you think they're gonna make? Cause like that I might think, be overkill. If I, think if I saw an card- AEW versus New Japan every single match, I don't know. It's hard to build four weeks of story where it's like, but isn't that the most logical thing? Because like that way you don't
0: even have to have a build. It's just this versus this. That's like number one. But on top of that, I really do think the other matches like number one, Lij. That's a fusion of like AEW and New Japan Bullet Club. You could do a bunch of stuff with New Japan. Uh, like a bunch of guys from New Japan, a bunch of guys from AEW coming together in faction warfare in some way Mm -hmm. you can do a lot of stuff with faction warfare across the board yeah because there is like a mix daniel garcia is part of the new japan roster but he's also part of the AEW roster same thing with wheeler Yuta. same thing with moxley there's just a bunch of guys that kind of fit on both sides and it really feels like it'd be a missed opportunity in
1: my head if at the very least you don't have a few massive company versus company matches I think one of the biggest things we're looking forward to at Forbidden Door outside of like the matches, whether it all exclusively AEW versus New Japan, or if it's like a, a mix of like, you know, both surprises, the event is called Forbidden Door. Forbidden Door as a term historically has meant something crazy is about to happen. We're going to get some surprises. We're going to get some new signings. I'm kind of curious to see what happens there as well. Yeah, I,
0: I don't know who would be like yeah you could easily have somebody come through that forbidden door in june and like i'd be, be shocked
1: a, if it, if we don't get at least one but the thing is with the pay-per-views you always get some surprise we yeah. had someone like at double nothing it's like almost like a given at this point there yeah, yeah, yeah. it could be major star it could be kind of like up and coming talent that just been released from nxt or WWE or something there's going to be someone
0: absolutely and then side note also we didn't talk about stokely hathaway coming in formerly malcolm vivens in uh and he's gonna be jade cargill's manager now like if she wasn't money before, she's a <laughs> fucking Superstar now with him as part of her Package, mm-hmm. but I feel like that's Everything for AEW, uh, we'll talk about this again Forbidden Door is coming up, that usually is, Wouldn't have been one that we would have covered, but hell Yeah, I think we should definitely talk about that when we it does will, for when sure. Alright, so that's everything for AEW Gentlemen, let's wrap everything up Let's get wrecked. What's your weekly recommendation for this week? What
1: is Sandu's pick? Okay, so sometimes I like to link my recommendation to the major movie that we are reviewing. Sometimes it's not as easy to do it, but it was like the low hanging fruit this time around. The Val Kilmer documentary simply entitled Val. It dropped last year. And I have to say, it's an incredible doc where Val Kilmer essentially provides an intimate look at his life, both on and off screen. It's raw, it's honest, it's it's compelling whether you're a fan of his work or not. And what this dude essentially did right from the jump from his career is he had a lot of home videos from Super 8 to like video cam recorders to digital. And he's basically documented his entire life. And you've got this archive of 30 or 40 years worth of footage and he's basically got his son providing the voiceover for the entire doc and it's a beautiful thing um, it's a it's it hits you it's hit, hits you home in your heart in many ways as well to see someone just be very revealing with all the ups and downs the mistakes he's made in his career and how he's patched things up with members of the family and you know who he is as a human being let alone who he is as an actor i can't recommend it enough and just to see kind of like the payoff he's now had on screen in top gun maverick as well i think it ties everything up beautifully
0: I definitely have to check that out one day. But uh, for me, we're talking about legacy sequels. I kind of mentioned this before, but I am going with Mad Max: Fury Road. I think the best legacy sequel, if you call quali- if you qualify it as a legacy sequel. But visually, it's just a masterpiece. You're on a roller coaster right from the opening scene. You have incredible performances by Tom Hardy, Charlize Theron, and a stellar supporting cast with Nicholas Holt, Zoe Kravitz. Uh, it's so Over the top in like the best way possible. It's just one of my favorite experiences I've ever had in a movie theater. Go out of your way if you haven't seen it. Mad Max Fury Road is the one. But that's everything for this week. John, where can anybody
1: find us? We are at Screen Off Script on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you can spare thirty seconds at the end of today's show, rate and review us if you haven't already. It goes a long way on helping our show get found on these platforms. Awesome. Thank you for checking us out this week, guys.
0: Take care.